For Your Inflammation is brought to you by Hull Family Funeral Services. Now with catering packages. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Inflammation with Zach and John. I don't bend that way. Welcome to For Your Inflammation, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We're your hosts, John Kaplan and Zach Graham. If Babyface can sing about Christmas in June, then we get to have a podcast with Halloween in March. It is March Madness, and uh, for those of you that don't remember, or maybe this is your first time listening, uh, hello, welcome, I'm Hi. sorry. Um, March Madness is where Turn we... back now! Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do that if you feel like you need to. I-, I like to think this has been a warm welcome, maybe it hasn't been, but um, March Madness is where we turn the tables around. Normally, Zach is the film guy, he's the guru, he's the one that knows about the movies, and he presents them to me because there's a lot of movies I haven't seen, but March Madness is where we flip it around, and that's where I bring the movies to Zach, and uh, usually give him a, a, a great amount of personal suffering because of that uh, and, and today might be one of those let's find out uh, no matter how weird or bad they are that's what we do in the march of uh march the march of madness march of the madness it's like that penguin movie but way way more schlock the march of isles of madness yeah, yeah it sounds yeah, like yeah. it sounds like a bad student film and uh what we're doing now is uh, a bit of a double feature of films that have basically the same name and in a weird way of a similar plot i guess uh in that there is not much of a plot night of the demons from 1988 so what made you choose this film so there's two films that we're gonna cover it's a double feature this is night of the demons and there is also a night of the demon and i thought that this would be kind of a fun lark because normally in march madness i i bring something really weird like a curio out of the back pocket and say hey look at this little festering turd of a movie this one is one that's not very fun and i kind of wanted to explore this and like the phenomenon of it because this is a campy movie this is like the definition of camp and it is also a cult film but it just lacks the appeal that say like a puppet master or a toxic avenger has and i wanted to talk a little bit about that see okay i think you had the opposite effect that you wanted from this oh is that because i didn't hate this movie i actually thought it was kind of fun really (laughs) like in a like festering turd kind of way yes like i mean is it the best movie ever made no but it's just like it has so much going for it in a way like i feel like they really tried to make something fun not something great just something fun you know what i mean i do know what you mean and i think that they might have succeeded in that but i can't it's it doesn't feel like a passion project to me it not in the same way that the toxic avenger feels like a passion product for lloyd kaufman i can understand that like i can understand someone feeling as if this feels very studio Mm -hmm. because It is, at the end of the day. It is very studio. But it also, like... I don't know. There's just something about it that, like, speaks to me in a way. Weird. I'm very, very excited to unpack this. Um, let's just cut to the let's cut to the bone right off the bat. Uh, the movie kind of sucks. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the special effects are not great. They are definitely dated. Um, the dialogue is incredibly dated, but like not in like a like I you know how like sometimes when you say dialogue is dated, like you can clearly tell that people like whatever they're saying, like whether it be like slurs or any anything like that or like specifically targeted to hurt people i don't think that's what's happening here really i i think it is just a product of its time i see what you mean um i think that we could say similar things about a lot of movies that people don't really approve of these days i mean yes but like this one i mean it's too dumb to want to be hurtful in my opinion okay i do see where you're going with that Yeah, like, I mean, if they wanted to make something that was truly hurtful to, like, uh, marginalized peoples, like, I mean, they could have gone out of their way to do so, and they didn't. So, like, in a weird way, like, even though they're, like, using, like, language that we wouldn't use today, and, like, I I don't want to be too specific. Sure, yeah, I think anybody that watches the movie can figure out pretty quickly what you're uh, talking about. Yeah, if, if you've watched the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's, like, it's not, like, it's really not that bad bad right considering like other things we've watched yeah i see that it's like uh it's like getting bit by a dog 
this dog is tiny and weak enough that like it doesn't really matter how many times it tries to bite you it's not gonna hurt you that bad yeah because like the movie doesn't even believe in itself right so like <laughs> so like i mean nothing i can't take any of it seriously mm-hmm and uh, I think that that's maybe the most interesting thing is that it does give that impression that it doesn't care about itself, that it, it kind of tries to take itself seriously, but it doesn't have a lot of like oomph behind it. But it did warrant the making of two sequels and a remake, which is kind of yuck. Uh, wh- what's going on with that, do you think? What what drives that in a movie like this? This is like 100% USDA certified camp, and that kind of mandates a sequel, but is that really all that's going for it? Um, it's I don't know if it's that movies like this are just so easy to make uh-huh like studios can spit something like this out in like a couple months like this feels like a movie that like the studio went oh shit we didn't do anything for halloween it is now april what can we get done that's that's what this movie screams to me i see but i see i still feel like they did did try because now does it warrant a sequel i mean not really i mean it kind of wraps itself up and i know that like in the minimal research i did about the sequels it's like doesn't the angela character come back somehow some way she does and despite not really being the main character of the first film she kind of is the thing that carries the series through a little bit and she she appears on the cover of every movie yeah i mean like and like her character is like okay i still don't really understand like what her deal is like she seems queer coded a little bit Hmm, interesting well i mean other than looking like dr frankenfurter from rocky horror a little bit like what what do you mean by that so like i mean anytime like you have like kind of like and i like just speaking plainly like in 1980s 1990s movies like if you have like a very like husky voice like kind of like outcast kind of woman maybe not like you know conventionally beautiful it's almost certain that they're being queer coded and especially like the way that um all the other characters talk about her it definitely gave me very like oh we're supposed to infer that she might be a lesbian here i see so there's a lot going on there that's kind of not talked about and for somebody who identifies that it'll be something that stands out to them but for somebody who's not really there for it it will be inoffensive correct and that that was the whole point of like queer coding I see. That's actually a really interesting way to look at that phenomenon. Yeah, and, like, it's not good that that happened. I don't like that that happened. So just putting that out there, like, that's... I I just want to talk about it because I see it and because it's something that I feel like we're talking about now. But, I mean, like, even 10 years ago, we didn't talk about this. Like, this was such a, like, underground phenomenon thing. Yeah, I see what you mean. And, I mean, having watched a little bit of the remake from 2009, uh, it doesn't really stop. It just kind of gets exploited a little bit bit more in that it's a little more high profile and they use it for like a um i guess sexually exploitative content whereas in this one it's it's not quite as evident that that's what they're doing with that thing the with the you know the lesbianism or whatever that's not really uh that's not really what they're doing here but it is what they were doing in the remake the other thing i would say about the movie is that like the plot is so thin like i don't know why any of these characters know each other like, I guess they go to the same school, but it's not explained very well. It's just like, it kind of seems like the plot is an afterthought between, like, boobs and violence. Yes, and that is kind of why I love-hate this movie, in that it does everything that a movie like this should do, but I hate it because it doesn't have any, like, it doesn't have any weight. It doesn't have any teeth. It just kind of is. It's just like they took all, it's like making a salad with only the croutons, cheese, and salad dressing. But I mean, like, sometimes, like, that's what you want. Like, you want garbage. This is garbage. Like, yeah, that, that you know what? You said it first. Th- this is the trash. This is garbage. Like, and, I mean, th- this is McDonald's at 2 a.m. Like, this is what this is. Like, you want it, like, mom, can we have horror movie? We have horror movie at home picture of this movie. That's what uh, it is. Right. This is the horror movie at the house. This is the horror movie at the house. You should definitely question your mother about it. I see. I see. That's a weird thing for mom to be serving up at home. <laughs> like, let's watch Night of the Demons as a family. Oh, God. Oh. All right. Well, uh, one of the other things that we do on this podcast, again, for those of you that don't know, or maybe this is your first time listening, uh, we, we do cocktails. So for every movie, we come up with some kind of cocktail idea, something for you to have fun with. Maybe you're going to go watch the movie after this. Maybe you watched it beforehand, which would be a, a very studious on your part. But uh, this is something for you to take away from it. Normally, I'm the one doing the cocktails. But again, we flip the tables for March Madness. So Zach is the one doing the cocktails this week. Um, they drink a lot of Coors Banquet. 
So uh, I guess that could be a cocktail under certain conditions. You know, you, you cry enough into your beverage while watching this movie, and that's kind of a mixture, right? Correct. Um, I couldn't really think of a cocktail for this one, to be honest with you. But you know what? It did, it did make me think about a lot. Um, it made me think about, like, all the trash liquor that you drink, like, between the ages of and, like, 23. Uh-huh. Like, not trying to incriminate myself. That's Hence the... Right, right, right. Like, like, cause I, I thought about making like some sort of like punch, but I mean, like, how do you make like high school party punch? Like, you just you use whatever's around you. Like, even if that means that you're putting like champagne and like potato vodka in there, like it just is what it is, and like nobody cares about how it tastes. Right, right, right. As long as it just isn't like gasoline, that's the only thing that matters. So, like, let's work together here. Hmm. How how do you how do you elevate something like that? Like what like what do you do to make like high school party alcohol punch? Like what do you do to make it palatable? Huh. Like first of all, like I mean you're gonna have to get something that <laughs> like is not taka. So like I guess you I like where would you start? Like maybe like do like a Tito's and soda with fruit punch? You know, I think that you did something similar to this with um heavy metal where there was like a seltzer vodka thing. And that's a good way to do it. First off, I will say that if we're talking about parties and young people, uh, cannot recommend you drink underage. Please drink responsibly. I would never market any kind of beverage to anybody under the age of 21. However, if you have someone in your life who has a uh, unrefined liquor palette, I think that that is a good way to do it. I think that the, uh, the trash can cocktail phenomenon is a pretty good way to go. So for those of you that have ever seen like an Irish trash can or something like that, um, it's fun. It's got a little bit of a novelty to it. It's got recognizable flavors and something that is pretty pungent so like if you take something like a like a irish trash can that has a, a red bull turned over in it again the, the energy drink and alcohol thing is kind of dubious please drink responsibly however uh it is a pungent and recognizable flavor that will mask the effect of the alcohol a little bit on the palate do whatever you want but just so you know if you're over the age of 23 and you're drinking red bull in your like cocktails you are being judged just so you know yes <laughs> and if you're okay with that cool if you're not okay with that um, learn to drink scotch. <laughs> but yeah, so like, sorry, I, I definitely did not intend to, um, make it sound like I was trying to tell high schoolers how to make alcohol because that's not what I was trying to do. It's just like, I'm curious, like, like if you, like, let's say you wanted to have a nostalgia night. Ah. Like, what would you, like, what would you do? Okay. Well, I think that's where I would start. Um, you need something that's like kind of pungent and recognizable. So orange juice is obviously a go-to, uh, even like, uh, like a Hawaiian punch fruit punch type thing is, uh, something that you can start with. Some of those minute made fruit punches are pretty good. Um, and then you want to use something, uh, inoffensive. So like a light rum or a vodka, maybe a little bit of a gin, but you got to be careful with gin. Cause that does have a lot of an aroma to it. That does have a, a bit of a punch. Like what, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking Hawaiian punch, red, the red kind. Mm hmm. Sunny D, just because you need a little more orange flavor in there. Uh huh. Some like I guess Malibu and maybe some like Curacao. Malibu and Curacao. Uh, that's a pretty bold move. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is like, would you bring that down with like a um, like maybe a vodka or like maybe even tequila? Like I don't know. Like how do you bring that down? Like how do you bring the sweetness down to a palatable level? I think that a tequila would be a pretty bold move. Again, very pungent, but it does have the uh, the counteracting effect on the sweetness i think that maybe mixing in some fresh fruits would be a good idea so some lemons some limes maybe even some pineapple chunks dumped in there uh if they're fresh if they're canned it's going to contribute to the sweetness that's the thing you got to know about pineapple right um, correct uh, that it's what you add to it you know because that's really what that's all about is the base liquor isn't something that you can just give to somebody that wants a drink like that but you need to have something to balance it out so having the sweet sour blend is really what most of the drinks are going to be about unless you're making like a a crap smoky rosemary cocktail with some scotch or with some something else or maybe even like a mezcal that but that's far far more advanced than what most people are, are going to be uh, looking for especially somebody like that correct i think if i was gonna put fruit in it i would put lemons like maybe orange lime and maybe just like a whole grapefruit but just with like a hole cut out on the top of it and just let it float at the top that's that's a good joke that that's a good one that that's a good one <laughs> okay there we go we've now made a high school party punch I and tried hate to this. And, and try, I mean you hate this movie so the fact that you hate the cocktail is probably for the best. 
Alright, cool. Uh, well, there you have it, guys. Uh, if you're going to make a, uh, a crappy party at a funeral home in the middle of the woods type of drink, uh, hopefully these uh, fast and loose guidelines can help you make something that will uh, maybe induce some visions of, um, I don't know, demonic possession. Delusions of demonic grandeur. Yay! <laughs> Oh, speaking of delusions of grandeur, or re really like delusions of just life itself, we do have Frank's synopsis in the building. So uh, g everybody give a big, warm welcome. Emphasis on warm because it is still cold out there in Central Park and uh, old Frankie boy is uh, for a reason. Welcome, Frank's synopsis. Hey, everybody, it's good to be back. Do love these movies. Gotta love them. I, I had a feeling you liked this one. Oh, this is a great one. It reminds me of home. I, I can't, I cannot say I'm shocked. So, Frank, what, what about this reminds you of home? All the darkness, lights are always off, people floating around, uh, screaming, the loss of limbs. There's so many great things that happened when I was a child. Beautiful. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and let you read the synopsis for this because I don't want to know anything else about that. <laughs> All right, here we go. A group of insufferable teenagers get together for a night of mischievous fun in an abandoned funeral home. When a seance goes awry, an unholy presence enters the grounds and inflicts terror on all inside. You know, it wasn't until you read that that I realized really how paper thin the plot of this movie is. Well, there is the plot of my life as a young person. Frank, I, I wish there was more I could do for you. I think you need to write a book. Hmm, what is a book? Jesus Christ. All right, Frank, well, um, you can feel free to go by your public library and see if they have any cookies on the desk because we still do not have craft services. They do have great racks and racks and racks and racks of concessions, don't they? I, I... I feel like you're insinuating that you eat books, and I think that's fine, given that the public doesn't read the books, so someone might as well eat them. Eat oh, the books. Oh, that's a book. I'll be on my way then. Okay, thank you, Frank. That explains a lot. All right, um, there's a bunch of, like, just library book pages ripped. I can tell they're library book pages because they have that smell, and they're super rigid because nobody's touched it in years. Yeah, it almost smells like the book is trying to ferment itself with formaldehyde. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I think Frank is uh, stuffing his clothes with library book pages to survive. I, I think it's just that cold out there right now. Um, I think it's a little more insidious than that. Um, what but... Insidious? What do you mean insidious? Um, in the fact that um, I think he is stuffing his insides with them, which also would explain why our toilet is backed up. I don't like this at all. We have to move on. We have to. We absolutely have to move on. All right, so so, John, I'm going to kick back and let you tell us about the movie. All right, cool. Well, let's hit some of this basic information. Uh, the film was directed by Kevin Tenney. Uh, this is the type of film that he has done and perhaps the only type of film he has ever done. I, I mean, hey, look, when when you know what you're doing. Uh, yeah, are, are you saying you got to lean into what you're good at? You got to find your calling and this was the calling? All I'm saying is, like, you got to lean into life. And if that means, like, making schlocky horror movies, I mean, like, who who am I to judge? I, you know what? There is, uh, everybody has their niche. Uh, it was written and produced by Joe Augustin. Uh, he is an actual paranormal researcher and advocate for paranormal research in science. So, advocate for paranormal research. Like, does this mean, like, they want it to be a legitimized science? Or is this just, like, going on the train and telling people about it and being like, no, it's real? I think he has a hard time on Bumble if he uses that. <laughs> I'm a paranormal researcher. Oh, you mean you're a murderer. Oh, not that type of paranormal research. He's not a ghost factory. No, I just mean, like, if I were a woman, that's what I would think. It's like, oh, so you're going to murder me. I okay. see, I see. Uh, no, he's just the type of guy that, like, collects photographs of certain, like, things and does the research and be like, oh, what is this orb here? And then, like, does, like, spectrographic, you know, analysis or, or whatever the hell. Like, it, it's, it's Zach Bagan type shit. You lost me at spectrographic graphic because that sounds like something that you would go to the doctor and they'll be like oh we're gonna have to do a spectrograph and you'd be like i don't know what they're going to do to my asshole but i know i'm not gonna like it yeah it sounds like it's not covered by my insurance <laughs> we're gonna have to do a spectrograph and uh, it's not gonna be covered so i hope you're prepared yeah anytime they say it's not covered i go i guess i don't need it then oh yeah it's like uh you know it's it's always bad when your doctor pulls out an emf reader 
and starts walking around the room with like a thermometer. And then <laughs> that's how Bankman you know your, your doctor is Joe Augustin or Zach Bacon from Ghost Adventures. Or Dr. Bankman. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. There's a whole movie about that. How did I forget? We've covered it. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. I don't want to get sued. Um, oh, no. Can't do that. No. Uh, the music <laughs> is by Dennis Michael Tenney, uh, who I can only assume is related to Kevin Tenney. But they're not exactly high profile people. So uh, kind of hard to confirm or deny that. Hey, look. Sometimes brothers fight, and sometimes when they fight, they make beautiful movies together. I think the only thing they were fighting about was whether or not to actually include any licensed music or to just let Dennis do it all, and the answer was, uh, yes, they had Bauhaus. I want to talk about Bauhaus, but let's get through the rest of this first. Okay, cool. Let's talk about the cast a little bit. So the film stars uh, Kathy Podewell as Judy, Alvin Alexis as Roger, Billy Gallo as Sal, Hal Havens as Stooge, Lance Fenton as Jay, Amelia Kincaid as Angela, uh, who you may also know from Break Into Electric Boogie, among other movies that she primarily has dancing roles in. Uh, I, I don't know if you're shocked or not by that. Um, Jill Tereshita as Franny, Philip Tanzini as Max, and of course, Linnea Quigley's boobs as Suzanne. Ah, uh, Leona Quigley's boobs. I know thee well. <laughs> yeah, so it seems to appear anytime that she's in a movie, and there are reasons for that, and maybe we'll touch on some of those here in a moment. We'll touch on the reasons, not on the boobs. Correct. And, like, I mean... She clearly wants to be doing this, so I think she has agency in doing it, so I don't... It doesn't really bug me that much. It is actually something that she has accepted as a part of her brand for a long time, and uh, there was an interview that was done sometime... Uh, not that long after this movie was done where they asked her about it, and she said that she went to go see this movie because she likes to go see her own movies with just, like, regular old audiences as just, like, a sit-in. You know, she doesn't really, you know, make it a point to see them all at the big debuts, or if she does, then she also goes and sees it at a regular theater. And she said that this one was kind of weird because she went to a drive-in and then early in the film is just her butt cheeks like on the screen. And it's just like in front of a bunch of cars at like a drive-in. She's like, you know what? I'm about it. But like, uh, maybe I should have thought about this a little bit more before uh, coming to the drive-in to just look at my own butt cheeks on the screen. <laughs> I was going to say like that, that was the biggest thing for me when like, tw like 10 minutes into the movie, I'm like, oh, Leona Quigley is already doing something sexual okay <laughs> yeah yeah um not the first time that it's been discussed uh not the last time that it happened if you again watch the unfortunate remake from 2009 they do a callback to this exact scene except there's a bunch of kids running around because it's halloween and it is fucking weird yeah i it's almost like from what you've described about this remake it almost seems as if um this one might be more tasteful somehow you know what? I'm going to go on a limb and say it absolutely is. Jesus, that yeah. that is saying something. It really is. Uh, the movie was released September 9th, 1988 to a limited audience in Detroit. Um, we will touch more on that later. A budget of $1.2 million and a gross of $3.1 million, making it a uh, a success fiscally. And, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, somehow some way yeah i mean you figure if you are a cast member that's earning one percent of the gross then that's what um thirty one thousand dollars i mean that's not bad for shaking your ass on screen i mean right. I'm, I'm 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 just gonna say like listen if someone was gonna pay me to shake my ass on the screen i would do it i mean yeah. i don't give a shit i mean uh you gotta think this is also 1988 dollars good old american greenbacks not what we have today with this uh you know plastic credit card bs so these are these is real dollars real money dollars real money dollars film is distributed by international film marketing and paragon arts the home video releases have been made by republic pictures anchor bay entertainment and are currently made by screen factory by way of mgm this is by order of appearance so the first ones were by republic the second ones were by Anchor Bay, and then the most recent ones have been by Scream Factory. I own the Scream Factory edition. I, I know we've talked about it before, and it doesn't get easier to talk about anytime we do end up talking about it, but how many of these movies do you own? Um, at last count, because I have a thing that keeps track of this, because um, I, I had to get some, I had to get a system to keep track of them. You, you made because a spreadsheet. I did not make a spreadsheet. You made a not spreadsheet. Not yet. It's not there yet. No, it's more, it's called Blu-ray.com. And all I have to do is anytime I get a new movie, I just scan the barcode and it puts it into like a collection list for me. Hmm. So I, but I can also do that while I'm like, if I'm browsing movies, like it, like a second and Charles or some shit, because you know, you can't even go to Walmart and browse movies anymore. 
Uh-huh. They're just getting in the way of everything that's good and holy. Correct. So they're getting rid of them. And um, it'll actually tell me if something's in my collection or not. Interesting. That's actually a pretty uh that's actually a pretty good way to do that. The scanning thing, is this like just a barcode with your phone type situation? Correct. Okay, that is actually kind of useful. I'm sorry that I demonized you by saying that you were making a spreadsheet. <laughs> I mean, some people do. Some people, like, think that that is the best way to do it. Because a lot of people want to keep track of other metrics about it. Like, how much they paid for it. Because, you know, they might want to sell it later. Or, like, how much they you know, or where they got it from. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. I just want to know, do I have the movie or not? Nah? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Good for you. Good for them. <laughs> Good for everyone. L listen, movie collecting is such a, like, like, they're not hurting anyone. That is <laughs> just, true. Just le leave us be. I understand that some people think it's weird, but uh, to answer your first question, um, Last time I checked, I am at 305. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, what is your most sought after Blu-ray that you have right now? My most sought after? Um, I don't have too many, like, out of print things, but I guess I would say, um, I have the special edition or like ultimate edition, whatever you want to call it, of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's worth about like, I think I paid 60 for it. It's kind of worth like about like 170 right now. Oh, interesting. Um, I have a original Donnie Darko Arrow video release, um, which a lot of people want right now for some reason, but I don't really want to get rid of it because mm, I don't really I care. Because Arrow also just came out with a 4K edition of this Blu-ray, and I'm like, I don't really feel like upgrading. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know if I will, but, I mean, if someone were to offer me money on it, I absolutely would because, I mean, it is a pretty big, like, addition. Like, I mean, it, like, it, it takes up a substantial amount of room i see um so th this is like a baseball cards type situation then where there's uh there's a lot more to it than you would think you know when you're like oh uh, yeah uh a middle-aged some some looking at a kid buying baseball cards and be like ah oh, baseball you know what that's not even true i feel like like older people believe in baseball cards more than people today do oh yeah absolutely i mean like i i knew kids that collected baseball cards but like i maybe i should say kid i knew one kid and then we also had one friend that collected coins but i don't know anybody that does that now yeah yeah and i mean coins i get that, that this is not a like a curio collector podcast no we, it's we cannot... not but for me it's so much less about like collecting the movies as it is like i just want to have them because usually watching it on blu-ray or 4k blu-ray is is the best quality you're going to get and especially for like doing this podcast like i want to watch the best version of whatever movie we're watching is even if it is a total shit movie i see okay and that's what like scream factory and severin that's what they all like uh that's what they specialize in they specialize in garbage like i think scream factory just came out with alligator on 4k nice so like i mean like th th they specialize in putting out garbage okay yeah um I mean, I'm not going to say, like, I haven't seen a Screen Factory DVD or Blu-ray. I've been like, oh, man, this movie? Because, like, that has definitely happened. Like, it, I want to say maybe a year or so ago, I went into, I think, an FYE and found a mm -hmm. uh, Screen Factory collector's edition of uh, Return of the Living Dead, I think? I doubt that you found Return of the Living Dead. You probably saw Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Ah, uh, yeah, that that was it. Yeah, I don't know, because I remember talking to me. It's like, oh, look, it's Screen Factory, just like you said. And it was actually kind of cool. But there's no way I was going to pay 40 bucks for it right there because you know i'm not you no i mean i haven't even bought return of the living dead part two it would be one of those ones i would buy if i had return of the living dead because they also put out return of the living dead but it was in a limited quantity and um it now sells anywhere upwards of like 150 dollars with the slip cover mm. so I'm not that crazy. Like, I won't do it. Someone else will put it back out. I'm not worried about it. Got you. Okay, well, that was fun to, uh, that was fun to delve into the, uh, the distribution and the home video side, because I know that's kind of your thing. Why don't we move on to the production of the film? Unfortunately, there's not the most to talk about, because it's not the most well-documented film. I think that anybody that watches it could probably figure out why. But the film began life in Los Angeles with the working title of Halloween Party. Uh, thanks for not using that title. There there was also a working title called Demon Boogie. Again, thank you for not selecting that title. I don't know. I like Demon Boogie. I... <sighs> Demon what? Boogie Wonderland? No. No. We cannot. <laughs> it's not... <sighs> We're moving on. It took four weeks to film. They made it in four weeks. I don't doubt that. 
I want to know more about like the soundstage for this because like I mean if it was made in Los Angeles okay well there's probably a back lot somewhere they're working with um this movie wasn't really picked up by a major studio so I'd be interested to know how they made it work I want to know where like the inside and outside shots of Hull House come from and how they were able to get the lighting the way that they did because it's either fully inside and they are controlling all of the lighting or it is actually outdoors and that sounds very challenging it looks to me as if it's all a soundstage that's pretty impressive I think for the exterior shot there is a bit to talk about with the casting though uh Linnea Quigley as we kind of mentioned before was sought after personally and invited to audition based on her role as trash in Return of the Living Dead from 1985 which we have actually already covered on this podcast it's one of the more fun uh schlock horror that we have done it it's <laughs> actually it was our last episode before uh the godfather so it's actually fairly recent as far as canon goes even though it was uh a, almost a year ago yeah so yeah, the go hiatus. check it out like like you wouldn't even have to scroll down that far uh i think the episode's called return of the living mac so uh yeah have fun with it it's a good one good yeah uh at first she didn't want to do it she didn't think that she could uh like accurately portray a teenager anymore um that was not true she was cast on the spot after finally agreeing to audition i mean that's awesome like good for her like it's it sounds like she got a lot of work very quickly yeah um i think it's a little problematic to have the movie with the type of content that it has in it where portraying everybody as being an actual teenager uh or at least like trying hard for it to be that way i guess this has been something that's kind of been a problem with specifically american film for a while yes so like it i i do agree it is slightly problematic having like adults play teenagers and then also having like those teenagers be like either drinking or like you know nude on screen it is slightly problematic because it's like how am i supposed to feel about this right because the idea because, is that it's like youthful fun but like uh it's not it's not and it's like how like how am i supposed to digest this because like like it shouldn't for lack of a better word it shouldn't be arousing because it's like oh i have to remember this is a child right or at least it's supposed to be the actor clearly is not but that's just because we know better and there are legal reasons why that has to be and thank god there are really legal reasons for that exactly and so like it's slightly problematic to have this kind of content but at the same time like i mean i i would shudder to think that we can't present things like that things of that nature on film like and by that i mean like should we just like not make films about like the teenage experience and teenage sexuality like is that fair either like i think it's best to err on the side of caution but it's also kind of like it's a very messy gray area and it it, it makes me personally feel yucky maybe it should be done with taste and uh artistically i don't think that's really what happened here oh absolutely not this was exploitative as fuck and that's that's what i was getting at is like this is more exploitative whereas like i'm trying to think of something that would be a little more like tasteful but i can't really because when you're talking about things like this it's like it's not tasteful dazed and confused does dazed and confused have nudity in it uh i don't think it has explicit nudity in it i think it is uh mostly or all implied yeah and see that's how i think it should be because like who like who is supposed to be like enjoying this i think that's the thing is like i think we have to think about intent a lot with things like this because like is this intended for a teenager to see this and be like oh yeah that's that's what i should be doing with all of my friends or is it supposed to be for like the voyeuristic eyes of an adult exactly like who is and like who is this for right because no. one of those is not as gross as the other and it's monetized which makes it even more problematic but uh, you know we, we could go on about that for a long time there's a lot of that in this movie there are a lot in movies like this and i think that it's not that that's what makes it exploitative because really it's just everything about it is exploitative like it is truly it's trying almost... to make a book on tropes and uh that's what its purpose is it seems and uh that's what makes it kind of a weird thing there's no it's campy but it's not campy in the same way that like a um like the room or rocky horror picture show is campy and that they're trying really hard they're trying hard but they know exactly what they're doing here it feels like this is 1988 you know a lot of those movies have long since been made when it was authentic right like it's almost as if like the exploitation is the aesthetic of the film like these kind of like horror quote-unquote movies have such a aesthetic to them where like that's why when people are like oh it's a horror movie i can't watch it it's like well it's really more of a comedy with blood and guts in it like it's yeah. not really scary right like and there are some I, 
I, I mean, that are I, just scary. This is not one of them. No, like, at, like I watched this at like two o'clock in the morning with all the lights off, with my headphones on, and I was never scared for one second. Right. Because I knew what this was, and really it has like the opposite effect it's almost like a like you're almost rooting to watch something bad happen yeah yeah yeah. because that's what's gonna make it interesting because that's what it lives for is the trope exactly like you want to watch something bad happen right i think and the other thing with the movie is like i feel like it takes a little too long to get there it does and it's it's budgeting like the like clearly they didn't have a budget to like make this as scary as i think they wanted to yeah they had to fill the time they had to have a feature-length film there are times where they're just talking about the story of Hill House, like it, Hill House. <laughs> yeah, it's Hill House, Hull House. Um, Hull House. <laughs> the history of Hull House and like the legend around it. And it's just kids talking to nothing for minutes at a time. Exactly. And I mean, like, it almost reminds me of like 1950s, like ghost movies. Like, it almost feels like that's what they were trying to do. Like, almost like, oh, it's a haunted, spooky house. But they just like made it 80s. Yes. And like put in some like punk aesthetics in there because like this movie almost feels tangentially like related to return of the living dead it does have the vibes uh the punk rock bit is still in there like you mentioned uh if you look at the boom box there there's a um there's a circle jerk sticker great band there's a, a dead kennedy sticker on it great band uh tons of like reference there i and this is still kind of coming out of like the deep reagan era demonization of counterculture exactly it's it was almost rebellious to be punk rock whereas now being punk rock is expected like because we grew up like that like we grew up in such a weird era just mm-hmm. like these kids did as well like punk rock grew up and ended up in finance like every other asshole correct and so like we kind of brought punk back but in a very like corporate way if that makes sense it, it, it's like it was almost corporatized for us like i feel like and i feel like that's why these particular kinds of movies are like having such a staying power because i feel like the like trashy shit like punk rock aesthetic was sold to us from such a young age hmm. like i mean like even think about like you know like simple plan did the theme song for what's new scooby-doo like i mean like we're like it's just always been there and then like i mean i remember like horror movies being marketed to us as like young as like 10 yeah i see it um i think they're always trying to reach an audience that's like a layer back from what they're actually saying they're marketing it towards and that kind of happens with everything that happens with movies music video games like you know they'll have a target audience and the people that look up to their target audience is the one that ends up thinking it's actually cool. Whereas it's probably a hit or a miss with the people they were trying to reach. Right. It's um, the little brother is always going to think it's cooler than the older brother. Right, right. Getting back to the casting stuff, after she was given the role of Judy, Kathy Podwell quit her day job as a waitress. It is funny Ooh. that this happened because uh, she ended up, actually pretty much everybody ended up as a TV actor after this film, with the exception of Linnea Quigley. Um, she did that thing. She quit her day job. Well, I mean, like, this was theoretically like a studio film. I mean, I would. Especially if she had, like, other offers coming in. I mean, like, I don't I don't know. Like, quitting your day job is like the... Th- it's like the dream right yeah of course it is I, do you think she jumped the gun on that or do you think that she was right in leaving her day job for this movie um i mean i don't know her situation like did she end up being like a big actress uh at tv acting mostly but i think that she did um enough stuff to say that she had like a prolific career as an actor even if she didn't land a lot of like title roles you know she didn't end up like main characters in a bunch of things whereas she actually did in this i think if anybody is a main character in this film it is judy <laughs> I think Judy, it's all, it's so weird because, like, I almost feel like Judy isn't supposed to be the main character. The main character is supposed to be Angela. Yeah, I see that. And I think that she kind of carried it away the same way that, like, in Return of the Living Dead, like, trash and suicide kind of carry the whole thing. Whereas they're not even the main characters, right? Like, it's, it's very odd. Like, sometimes the side characters get more spotlight than the main character. But, I mean, like, I guess she is the final girl. Mm-hmm. So I guess she is supposed to be the main character but it, i don't know it's just like it seems like the plot more frequently revolves around 
Angela and what she's doing rather than um Judy. Yeah, and speaking of Angela, Amelia Kincaid was uh actually she wanted the part of Angela because she found it to be more serious and that she would actually get to be the one doing the killing rather than running around being killed. And I find that I kind of funny that. because she actually did on the record scare the shit out of the casting people. That's awesome. So I guess she kind of got to live that. And I guess she got to live that for at least two follow-on films. So uh, that's fun. Again, uh, dancer. So at uh, the dance scene here was, um, she actually choreographed the entire thing and that would kind of go on to be a career thing for Amelia Kincaid and that she would be a dancer in other films and be really big in choreography. All I'm going to say about this is Lydia Dietz could never like this, <laughs> like this, like she is now the queen of the goths as far as like film depictions go. I think that she could definitely stand to be a little bit more, uh, you know, recognized. Exactly. Like, I was just like, how have we let this fall by the wayside? Like, I get the movie's not great, but like, Jesus, like, this is a whole thing. Like, goth dance is a whole thing. Yeah, and I think that uh, as far as the atmosphere goes, this is the one thing that the movie does accomplish, is that. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, you, it's definitely very, like, gothy. Like, you can tell they tried to throw all of the counterculture shit from the end of the 80s into here. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that the jock character was a punk. Yeah, so, and we saw a little bit of that, I think, in, again, Return to the Living Dead. Yeah, so it's like, instead of, like, the jock that it would have been in, like, a 90s, or, like, in a 50s movie... Mm -hmm. they they gave us a punk instead which is kind of odd that they put those two like as the same thing inside the trope because i don't think they're the same thing yeah yeah i see you and uh for linnea quigley's famous lipstick scene uh they actually built a set of fake breasts that were purpose made for this special effect talking about the one where she inserts the lipstick tube inside of her skin yeah it was almost odd watching it happen because it's like what the fuck it's like yeah, one of those things you would never think of. Yeah. Fun fact, uh, Steven Johnson was actually the makeup artist behind this. He is actually famous for working on movies like Spider-Man 2, Bicentennial Man, and guess what? Primus' own Winona's Big Brown Breaver music video where he did the prosthetics on all of the band members. Interesting. That is definitely... I could see the correlation between that video and this. They ended up getting married in 1990. Who? Her and Le Him and Leona Quigley? Yep. That's cool. Yeah, they uh, divorced two years later. I mean, you know, I mean, like, sometimes just one beautiful thing is nice yes uh it, it it's uh what am i trying to say here i'm glad that they had fun with it oh hell yeah like i mean do you like fuck it like marry someone for two months who cares yeah if you if you meet your spouse by making a set of fake boobs on set to be used in a uh crazy special effect then uh you know what that's very on brand for you he is actually a really famous makeup artist oh yeah i mean i've heard the name before yeah, no, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Night of the Demons was released September 9th, 1988 in Detroit, Michigan, just in time for Halloween. It made $98,000 on the opening weekend, and that's what gave it the green light to release in some other cities like Los Angeles and New York, which were debuted on the 14th of October and the 23rd of November, respectively. It's weird that they would get it out so late in New York. Yes, and after Halloween. Right, like, I mean, like, I'm a horror movie all year round kind of guy, but at the same time, like, why, why even bother releasing it at that point like just go straight to video that's what i'm saying um i know we've already kind of touched on the home video releases but there were several uh i want to say there was one in the early 90s one in 2004 and then the scream factory releases that are much more recent yeah i think those came out in 2014 mm-hmm uh, unsurprisingly, Night of the Demons went quietly into that good night, uh, relegated to obscurity, and, uh, kind of has a cult following that you might see on, like, a Puppet Master or Toxic Avenger type movie. We, we've talked at length about those, and I think that despite the fact that this movie has two sequels and a remake that came out in 2009, it just doesn't carry as well as the other ones did. I mean, it's not like a, it doesn't franchise as well, and I don't know if that's no. a testament to, like, the way that it's written or the fact that it lacks, like, a novel character or if it's just all aesthetically driven but th there's something about it that just lacks weight we've been saying that the whole review because it's true it just doesn't it doesn't have enough bite it i mean like i don't know if i would say bite because i feel like the movie has plenty of bite i think it doesn't i think it's not memorable mm -hmm. is the problem but like this movie caters to like in the 80s like it catered to a very specific audience which would be like 
teenagers. Like, teenagers who just want to go to a scary movie. Like, they don't care what it is. They just want to go. But, like, when you're talking about, like, the legacy department, I mean, this this is the kind of thing that's right up my alley because I love schlocky, shitty 80s horror movies. Uh-huh. As do I. I mean, I'm not gonna deny that. Yeah, like, I mean, so, like, something like this is, like, right up my alley. Um, It's very odd that something like this could come along and make, like, Return of the Living Dead look elevated. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's the the thing is, I, I even feel like Return of the Living Dead has that appeal. It has that X factor that this movie doesn't in the B horror movie scene. The, yeah, this is, um, I would say this is firmly B horror because, I mean, like, there are some things, like, what we're gonna cover next week is definitely, like, getting into C-level horror movies. Yeah. Like, like there, there are certain things that get down into that level, but I would say this is firmly planted in B. Like, you could put this on for just about anybody and they won't be weirded out they might just they're not gonna like it they might think you have a shitty taste in movies and you do let's let's i mean whoever you are that's doing this you you kind of do i mean like but at the same time isn't like i feel like liking things like this isn't necessarily a reflection on your taste as much as it is like on your aesthetic because like i understand this movie is bad i'm not going around saying like this is the best movie ever made right i'm saying there are some people that will defend a toxic avenger type movie to the death correct and that is just incorrect like even lloyd kaufman would not right it's like things like this are just fun to watch because they are so bad and i think sometimes people get that mixed up mix like the enjoyment they mix up the enjoyment of watching something that's bad with it being actually good right and, and it's like, like in, a, in a way it is good because it's making you laugh or it's making you like you know whatever emotion you're getting out of it that is like good for you it does not make the movie like artistically sound or good right and i feel like the only thing that it has going for it are the aesthetics and that's what drives it and if it's one thing to just be like a visual feast for the eyes but i don't even know that i can call it a visual feast for the eyes it's not i mean like the effects are like okay Mm -hmm. um the the makeup like specifically like any of the burn like the burn victims like they don't look burned right like i like i guess in my like mm, this burned human corpse doesn't look burned enough to me yeah, like, <laughs> like they it's tried. like as dumb as that sounds. No, I understand because I mean, if you're in it for the movie makeup, if you're in it for like the the magic that happens, the special effects, it's fine. It's got stuff there for you. It's just not that crazy and groundbreaking. I mean, despite the fact that there's some really interesting stuff that happens, it when it is a movie that is driven simply by being a horror movie with horror movie aesthetic, it needs to be really impressive in order to be memorable. And maybe that's why it's not memorable. And we're back here again talking about camp and talking about cult classics. But not all camp is created equal and not all cult films are created equal. So, like, where do we draw the line between something like this and something that we've already covered, like a Puppet Master, Toxic Avenger... Um, Return of the Living Dead, even. Like, what is that difference? Where is that X Factor? The X Factor comes in, I think something that actually has a good plot like so let's say like toxic avenger like it is clearly a three-act story Mm -hmm. like something was actually attempted there return of the living dead is a three-act story they actually tried something there now like they let their aesthetics get the better of them and that's why it's kind of like eh but this movie doesn't really have an act structure like i said earlier in the review it seems as if they the plot was a secondary thing between titties and like violence Mm -hmm. so that's the difference and like that's where you get between like a lower tier a film and then like a b film is like how much did they actually try because a lot of times b movies are movies that studios make just to make some money and i feel like this accomplished that like i mean it made its budget back and then some it almost made three times its budget back which is like good like that's uh, you know mission accomplished but once that part of it is done you're left with is this movie enjoyable and it's all going to depend on who you are like for me you know i had had a long like shitty week at work i popped this in and i had a good time watching it I just guess because really... it's like it's like it's it's brainless like i don't have to think about this movie at all that's a good point and i think uh in the 
tradition of cult classics, uh, the movie carries a 36% of Rotten Tomatoes, but it has an audience score of 55. And while 55 <laughs> is not that impressive, um, it, there is a clear difference between what they rated it and what the audience rated it. And I think that's something that you could find on pretty much any camp or, you know, culty movie worth its salt. And uh, I mean, I, you're right, it is brainless. And if you're there for that reason and it's what you're there for, that's, that's going to be something that you like. Like, you know, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like when there's not some sort of plot element going on i mean i'm on my phone and i'm just like kind of laughing at like the shitty dialogue which i did write some of them down like there is some shit ass dialogue in this movie lay it on me i want to know what your high points were okay so first high point was um at the beginning of the movie when the little brother is hiding in the sister's closet which like did anybody actually do this I don't know. Someone had to. I mean, like, like, what's the point? Like, you want to see your sister's boobs? Like, I don't, I don't get it. But I mean, he definitely does say, "Wow, bodacious boobies, sis." I, <sighs> which I guess is ahead of its time. If they only knew the state of Pornhub now, I, we cannot talk about that. <laughs> I mean, yeesh. First of all, um, my second favorite line was, "I live in a nice place with plastic covers on the furniture. Enjoy your lipstick, doll face." I, uh, um, is this elitism? I don't know what it means. I, it's, it's like, um, oh, what's the character's name? Sal. Yeah. Sal has the best line. He does, and he's also like one of the most like ugh, characters. You know what I mean? Like you just you you watch him, you're like, of course. I mean, like it's just uh, like it, it it's not innovative. It doesn't have to be innovative, but it's not innovative. No, I do. I still think they did him dirty by letting him die off screen. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, my other favorite line of his is um thank god for water pipes and then just climbs up the water pipe up to the top of the house and i'm like who wrote this shit it literally mario and luigi wrote that really yeah of course who else would be so happy to see a water pipe bro it was just so bad i'm trying to think if there's any other like um my other favorite bit in the movie is like towards the end where they're in the furnace thing uh, which i have a lot to say about that um so where she's going like remember they said if they they can't go to hell tonight because it's the one night a year they don't have to remember they said that but 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 it's almost like they're going remember audience did you remember that from the beginning of the movie did the <laughs> titties distract you remember I, uh you're right it's stilted it's wooden it's clearly a reach for them to try to bring it home it absolutely is i mean and it was just um also if that thing was being used as a crematorium there's no fucking way a full skull is going to be in there i'm sorry you know they do have to pulverize the bones a little bit i'm, I'm not i'm not a i'm not an undertaker do they they do and it, but it's not like a it's not like they have a fucking bone grinder you know like they're not trying to get that like super keef off the top of the skeletal remains but like yeah there's a little bit of a pulverizing process that goes into that fair enough um trying to, I'm sorry i'm going through my notes here um another thing that i think um i noticed was um the sting in this movie like like the violin sting it almost sounds like the shutter theme song huh like go listen to it and then the shutter theme which is done by john carpenter by the way mm. um and then like compare the two i think they're very similar also i want to take a minute and talk about slow-mo and 80s movies and how i'm glad that that's not a thing we do anymore oh yeah no it, it's definitely kind of cringy to watch yeah because it's like you're just gonna show me the same thing you just showed me but slower fuck y you yeah right i think it's funny that you see so much of that stuff in here and it's all in one place it's just like a it's like a sampler it's like a sample platter it's like a bunch of like uh i don't know like carpet swatches on like a sample board of just stuff that you can find in 80s horror movies that it's instead of putting carpet down in your house you just got a bunch of swatch samplers and put those on the floor that's what this is correct and it's just like it's almost like they're they're just like can you believe what you just saw here it is again yeah like not it's <sighs> like that makes sense for sports it doesn't make sense for movie right now let's look at like a good example of this genre uh like evil dead this movie borrows so much from evil dead it basically is evil dead the difference is that evil dead doesn't do stuff like that correct like evil dead like evil dead actually had a plot like it like i used to think that evil dead was such a like weird shitty movie like when i first watched it because i was probably like 14 when i first watched it uh-huh and like 
as I got older, I was like, oh, I see what they were trying to do here. They just didn't have the budget to do it. That's what this is. And like, th I think that's also an appeal of movies like this is like, you're like, oh, if they would have had a bigger budget, it would have looked better. But this is what they came up with. And you know what? It actually doesn't look that bad. But that's the thing is that in order for it to be camp, there has to be effort. The effort is what makes up for the lack of money that they might have had or resources that they had. And I think nowadays, I'm going to go ahead and say nowadays in reference to the 2009 remake um the, the effort's not there because they don't have to like there's so much that they can just make up for in cgi like Correct. poorly done cgi but cgi nonetheless where like the effort doesn't have to be there like they can just do their thing like oh yeah just in post or whatever but like that doesn't mean anything like yeah we'll fix it in post doesn't mean anything if you didn't try the first time fix it in pre fix it in pre <laughs> you just do it right the first time <laughs> exactly like it's um I don't know, like, this movie, I feel like is not as... B I feel like I didn't hate it as much as you did. I think it upsets me because I'm a fan of the genre. I do like this type of movie, like... But what I like about it is the effort without resources. I like how oh, it's... Some of it could be called, like, guerrilla filmmaking, in a sense, where they're just trying to make a lot out of a little, and that's where the appeal is at, is they're trying really hard. And I think the lack of resources is what makes them try hard. This is not a shining example of that phenomenon, I don't think. I mean, don't get me wrong, oh, no. they did a lot of stuff right but like like i was saying it's like a swatch sampler of all the different things you can get in 80s horror and they knew that when they were going in and they were trying to sell that this is a charcuterie board from kroger whereas we're more used to something where people like actually like tried to make it themselves and like right. some of it's good and some of it's not yeah like, like this is like pre-packaged and it might be like a day past its expiration yes and i i'm glad that we can talk about movies like this sometimes you know because a lot of times we talk about excellent movies we talk about the Casablancas or the Godfathers or we talk about like any anything that's like super good but this is like it's not bad enough to be good and it's not good enough to be good and this is a thing it does warrant discussion I think movies like this definitely deserve our time because at the end of the day people did spend time on this movie and like I feel like their work deserves to be talked about but at the same time like this movie if it hadn't gotten a Scream Factory release like I feel like it wouldn't be in the zeitgeist that's fair enough and uh it, it's like a sleepaway camp type movie you know where it's like some people will remember it and some people will be told by others that it exists and that's where it's like niche is in the film world right and like we should do sleepaway camp at some point Ooh. um <laughs> it, i know it's rough i know but um <sighs> I don't know just like there's there's so many of these movies and like i always like them like a, a lot of my collection like going back to that actually are movies like this believe it or not mm -hmm. because i just enjoy watching them like i can watch fucking like you know lords of arabia i can watch that on hbo max like i don't give a shit about owning things like that because like they're just available right. i want to have things that i can't just watch well, I guess that's kind of the point of being a collector, right? Yeah, like, it's more about A, collecting things I like, and B, collecting things that, like, I, like, this movie's never gonna end up on a streaming service unless it's, like, Shudder. Right. So, like, you either have, you, you have to buy it, which is very odd because it's, like, you would think that you would have to buy more high-profile things and, like, shit like this you could get for free. You know, I'm sure there's a guy crunching numbers in the background trying to figure out what they do and don't put on streaming services and what's worth their time and what's not, and I, I guess owning the rights to it is also kind of important because as we mentioned earlier mgm is ultimately the one that holds the rights to this movie right now and they're releasing by way of scream factory so maybe they're trying to protect the market that way i didn't realize there was that much of a market to protect around this movie but i think in next week's movie we're not going to see the same phenomenon i i think no, that uh, to, um, to make a smooth segue into night of the demon singular uh you might be surprised it is um i i would that movie you are like you are going to need to watch before you come to us because i think it's a lot and in, in a I, word. like you you need to be prepared for the a you need to be prepared for the conversation we're going to have and be i in a in a shitty way i want you to suffer with me right because there is a lot of suffering to be had so um i think uh that's pretty much gonna wrap it up for this week though i mean this this was a this was a fun discussion i really liked this i always like delving into like the like the nuts and bolts of aesthetic and the nuts and bolts of like camp because the, the truly those are the two things that you and i enjoy most yeah like there's just a lot of there's a lot to unpack there's a lot to look at there you have to find a reason why because you can't just look at it and be like oh that's a movie that was cool to watch it's not always like that but it right. is 
famous or it does have notoriety and you have to find out why it's almost like um it's almost like getting shit beers and finding something to like about them like you know it's not good it's not crafted well but there's like hints of it that you like sure i see what you mean yeah i mean it's it's definitely it like movies like this are an acquired taste next week though i don't know if there's a taste you can acquire for things like that but we'll get there next week um so we are still growing our audience so if you could just like give us a shout out on your favorite social media if you could give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts specifically but like if you want to give us a rating on any other podcasting platform that is cool too apple seems to like get us somewhere so like if you could just you know leave us a rating on there if you leave us like an actual review we'll read it good or bad well i'll read it on air like if you want to tell me that you know i sound like a fat piece of shit in my mom's basement i'll read that i think it's funny yeah but um, so th- those are just the kind of things we need right now we want to get more of you guys in here we want to do bigger things i guess is i guess is where it comes down to but you know that all starts with you guys we're gonna give you the content you just have to like help us get it out there yeah there is a little bit of a community here uh for those of you listening internationally uh again hello uh specifically to dublin ireland and uh various cities across germany uh don't know we had a following out there so hello and uh if you have any foreign films you'd like for us to look at uh by all means yeah absolutely like uh shout us out on twitter facebook um i think we're gonna try and get on most of the social medias here very soon (laughs) um it's just uh you know you got to figure out how you want to go about doing that and exactly how much time you want to divulge into that because we do have day jobs at the end of the day unfortunately if anybody wants to fix that though let me know oh yeah yeah like if you want to give us enough money to quit our day jobs and just do this i'm down with that but we are not there yet we're not begging for money that's not what we're saying just you know daydreaming daydreaming live on air because i don't know who's listening at this point so i think we're going to end it there uh for four year information i'm zach graham and i'm john kaplan go watch a new movie this week um maybe this one maybe like uh i mean the academy awards are coming up maybe watch something from there or you know just uh i don't know (laughs) see ya have a good one